listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the Parents Menu at ICDL.com, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home, taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential. Welcome back. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Daria Brown, and to start off the new year, I have two very interesting guests today with a great presentation that they gave from the ICDL conference, the DIR Floor Time Conference this past November. We're going to be discussing the topic of what a rubber band can teach us about supporting development from the inside out. I have a returning guest, Jackie Bartell, who is a retired special educator. She is a DIR expert training leader, and she now works at the DIR home program with ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning. And we also have Sanjay, occupational therapist in Singapore, who has worked in the company of Dr. Stanley Greenspan and currently works with an international school and also does floor time consulting. He is also a DIR expert training leader. Welcome, Jackie, and welcome, Sanjay. Nice to be here. It's great Thank to be you. Back. So I'm really interested uh, to share this because Jackie has shared with me that the concept of this rubber band uh, came up when Sanjay was discussing floor time with parents and this metaphor really made sense. And so I was really excited to bring this to parents through the podcast. So I guess I would like to ask you, Sanjay, can you tell us a little bit about how it came about and what made you think of this rubber band? Right. Uh, basically, each time whenever we want to talk to the parents about bringing the learning alive and uh, talking to them about the sensory organization of the child, like how important it is to maintain attention and arousal, or you can say arousal and attention. At that moment, uh, parents kind of trying to look for some kind of a recipe that, you know, so sometimes they ask, do we do the sensory diet? Yeah, you can do the sensory diet, but you know, uh, how many times we do? So they look at these pieces as like a pill that if I do it, uh, you know, morning or do I do it? So they kind of regimentalize it. However, it doesn't work that way because uh, the learning is about the stress and, uh, you know, learning new things bring a little bit of stress to the child. And if it, it is always a dynamic process. And since this is a dynamic process, the energy consumption is there. And if it is more, energy depletes faster, child becomes less aroused and he loses attention. So how do we teach parents about that dynamic process and that's the part where we brought this idea. Like if you if you hold it, uh, hold a rubber band uh, loose, then you can't get it. So keep the tension on. How do we get this tension on? 
And that's where we felt that, okay, you know, if you let it loose, then the child totally goes up. So how do you keep this? What, do, what kind of a sensory system or what kind of sensory input you need to put in place so that the tension remains and then you can bring it back to the learning perspective again. And that is how we brought this concept to parents and they felt that, oh yeah, that's right, easy to understand. So we got to keep something happening, some stimulation going in order to keep the arousal happening so that attention can go on. And that's how parents could kind of conceptualize this whole idea of dynamic system. Does it make sense? I, I love it. And there's so much packed into what you just said. Uh, it could be like 20 podcasts. So I just want to break it down uh, for the listeners from my memory of what you just said. Um, when, you know, I see this all the time, I'm facilitating the online parent support drop-in every week for ICDL. And especially when parents are new, they feel so lost with how to interact with their child and, and promote those interactions. And a lot of times they'll see their children sort of playing on their own and and quote unquote seemingly in their own world or you know my son would just walk through the room and knock all the toys over pick stuff up out of the bins and throw it across the room dump the bins out and so it seemed like he didn't know how to play with toys and it just seemed like he was wandering all the time so parents really want to get in to floor time and figure out how to interact with their child and they learn about the sensory profile and um and there's so much learning at the beginning because it's so different than other approaches. And there really are, they really are looking for instructions, as you said, they're, and you said it, I think you used the word regimented and they want to know, what do I do with my child? Okay, so this is the sensory need. I need to provide this sensory diet and I will do it, you know, every, and, and not that some routine isn't, isn't good, like uh, OT Maud LaRue says, you know, the, that good deep pressure massage right when they wake up and right before they go to bed, a lot of times can do a lot. But you're talking about through the day and learning and in a school setting and other things. It's such a dynamic process where you have this idea of um, just applying just the right tension with the child. And we talk about, uh, there's a, a a blog post I did about why challenging and expanding is so important to growth. And so I think that concept resonates with people because, you know, if, if during the pandemic, we just sat on our butts and didn't do anything, you know, things stagnate. But if we decide, okay, I'm going to exercise a bit each day, I'm going to challenge myself and read some new books, I'm going to, you know, whatever, I'm just trying to relate it to things that parents might think about, you always want to apply that that tension, but you don't want to apply too much. Absolutely. And um, I don't know if you if you wanted to say anything about all of that, Jackie, before we talk about the tension and the compliance piece. Well, yeah, and I think you know, Daria, you you make such a good a, a good point about you know children, parents finding their children, and, and parents, and I think also professionals who work with children, where you you find. You encounter a child and they seem, as you said, seemingly in their own world. And we try to figure out what do we do to help this child become part of, 
you know, the world that I'm in. And what we've learned and what floor time tells us is we are going to join the child. We're going to follow the child's lead. And if we do that, that, that works really well, you know, where we can start to participate, you know, as your example with your son, you know, he would just throw toys. We might participate in emptying the toy box with him. But if we just do that, we're not, we're not then making any growth in terms of those FEDCs. And so from- I'm just gonna, gonna stop you for a sec. Functional, emotional, developmental capacities, which is that uh, developmental ladder that we talk about in floor time the capacities that children move through and that we all have um, and just working from regulation up through engagement and back and forth interactions to being able to socially problem solve to get into symbolic thinking and then logical thinking yeah and so we take those you know that's that's that journey up that that, that ladder of those FEDCs but in order for us to support that we also have to support the sensory component, which, which Sanjay talked about, and getting the arousal and the modulation in the just right place so that we can walk up that developmental ladder. And that's where we start to talk about the tension because you want to build some tension and you want to stretch the child or stretch the rubber band so that the child starts to move up that developmental that developmental ladder and we go with them and that's the, so we we find ourselves inside that rubber band with the child and we are the people that are providing the opportunity to build some tension so that the child can make that developmental progress and i think for me that conceptualization that it's not the child's rubber band it's not my rubber band it's our rubber band and that together we are we are moving up there and the tent and as we build the tension and we can stretch it and stretch it and stretch it and then we move away from this conceptualization okay i'm going to be compliant i'm going to just look for being with you, but I'm going to also do something so that we move out of that, that model of compliance, of being calm or just being okay to let me be calm and grow. And that, you know, and, 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 and Sanjay can speak much more about how do we, you know, and thinking about that sensory piece, because the sensory piece is, is, is critical when we think about that, it. it's not just the FEDCs, we have to take the sensory piece along with us. So let me just give an example to sort of um, help parents think about what we're saying. And then um, I want to show one of the slides that you showed at the presentation about that compliance piece. Um, I, I'm thinking of when my son was at the stage where, and, and he's a sensory seeker and he had motor planning challenges. And um, he really liked cause and effect. So he loved knocking things over, watching the results. And if we were in an occupational therapy room where they have those big gym blocks, so they're like sort of soft, uh, so they're like almost like a vinyl type surface, but they're, they're not super soft like pillows, but they're they're hard and you, you build like a tower with sturdy. them. Sturdy. They're sturdy, but not hard, 
so that you can crash and they can fall on you and they don't hurt. I'm sure there's a name for them. Um, anyway, everybody knows what I'm talking about. We're building these blocks and my son really knew what he wanted. He wanted to build this huge tower and then he wanted to run and crash it, knock it down. But he had the challenge of not being able to build the tower on his own. At, he can do he could do it now, but I'm talking about a few years back. And he his way of getting that done was to say, Mama, do it, or Dada, do it, or whoever his therapist was, do it, build the tower. And so um, when we were working with Maud LaRue, you know, she was saying, he can do it, but he doesn't have the confidence, and we need to hold him in that space, which is tension for him, because if we if we pull the rubber band too wide, he's just going to go knock it over and give up and run to something else or try and run out of the room. But if we hold him there, we're like, oh, I wonder which block could go next. Hmm. Let's build, you know, and use that affect and slow it down for him enough and support him so that maybe, um, you know, he, I mean, you're the occupational therapist. Maybe I'll let you jump in here, Sanjay. Uh, I mean, basically, when when we go into this this, uh, we are we are tracking a couple of pieces. So one, we want to hold the affect so that the, we can hold the child in there, and, and hold and hold really, their engagement. That hold, hold the engagement, engagement and you know, and and that you are holding it with your relationship and affect. So that that kind of brings the whole piece right, holding in there in this space. And since we got that piece running, because in order to hold that relationship and the affect, the affect is also being processed through the sensory information the child is having through. Now we choose the activity, say for example, you took, took the activity of the big blocks, so if we chose the activity of the big blocks means we allow large movement in the space. And a large movement in the space. So we are allowing the child to visualize or apply the visual spatial thinking with the larger blocks in a larger space and helping him to assist into motor planning with big movements. So we are holding it up. We are providing an activity which appeals to him and which is developmentally right as well. So there is a sensory appeal. The larger movements are keeping the basic sensory systems, which is like touch pressure movement to keep the arousal connected. With that, the, the relationship is connected and along with that, then you are helping into processing in the visual spatial, like how do I arrange these blocks? One block will fit onto the next one in, you know, whether they are fitting nicely, they are not falling off or their nooks and corners are placed in. And then that development, that becomes a developmental pattern, like, okay, the child will have to learn how do I do this right? And that's where they enter into praxis. Does it make sense? It does. And um, I just want to point out what might be very obvious to a lot of people, but just in case 
it wasn't for some people is that this is something that my son loves and wants to do, but it's hard for him. So he gets discouraged and then he gives up. And we want to support him to say, you really can do this and I'm gonna help you to do it. So what he would do is he would take a triangle block and try and put it up like with the point on the bottom. So of course it's gonna fall over, but he didn't yet know that. So he would try and put, you know, things that for sure weren't gonna work, but until he gets practice at that, he won't know that. So it's, it's that whole play that children do um, as a child's work is play. So they play and they experiment with the things in the world to figure out what works, what doesn't. But when they have these motor challenges, sometimes that's difficult for them. So they don't go through and learn. They just want to do the same thing that's easy for them. And what might be easy for my son is to just kick it over and give up. So we want to hold him in that space, as you said, because we want to help him do what he really wants to do. And he's so you can see the pride on his face when that tower is built and he's done it and he's so excited. And that when he does it over and over, it's like so satisfying to him. So this is where I think we get into that idea of, are we working with the child or are we forcing compliance? You must learn how to build a tower and you must learn that this shape goes on this shape which is totally opposite approaches. So I wanna bring up the slide. Sorry, I wanna just jump in here because I think that you've highlighted something that's really important. Yeah. Where you talked about he he likes to put the he- or Not that he likes to, but, no, no, he, but was trying, he, was he was trying to trying. build it and he happened to put it up the wrong way, yeah. But but he, and and when when we think about this in this conceptualization of the rubber band, you never said no and just changed it. You provided him the opportunity, and this is this is where this is where this thinking is. I, I might have said uh, no. I might have said no. <laughs> well, you might have, but you but but you might as we move forward, you might have said no in an affectively engaged way, and said, "What about this way?" Because then you're letting him be inside the moment and the experience of trying it and learning that you can manipulate the block to make it fit differently. And yeah. I think that, that without, if, if we are not thinking about that and, and being comfortable holding the tension, our inclination is to just, okay, do it like this. That yeah, that's a good point because um, I've I've created this series. We chose play that shows the journey of floor time with our son, and in some of the early episodes in season one, I'm showing how I interacted with my son, and it is all teach, teach, teach. Oh nope, that's the wrong way. Put it in this way. Oh nope, do this, do that. And so many parents do that. They're the teacher, and they show them. And what you're saying is, and certainly what I learned to do as I got more floor time coaching and took floor time courses, was that you you get into that place where you let them experiment. But if they sometimes if he just did it on his own and it fell over, he got discouraged. So like you said, hold him in that space and say, hmm, I wonder if we can turn it a different way. And 
Dr. Tippy says, having that foot on the gas and brake at the same time. So if you jump up too far, you know, yeah, if you if you say, oh, how about a different way, but they don't know what a different way means. Um, and and you say, oh, what about like this and show them maybe that's just the right tension. And then when they get that, then maybe hmm, I wonder what other way we could turn it might be a little bit more tension and then they can get that. But it's it's a slow process and you don't want to go too far too fast. So I guess like gas brake is kind of similar to your stretching. <laughs> exactly. And you you are you are experiencing the learning with the child, but you have to be comfortable with the tension that that promotes because it's possible that there might be a moment of frustration. But frustration is okay if the rubber band doesn't break. Because that, that's a huge point because I was not comfortable with tension at all. And I think a lot of parents aren't. And even not. even to this day, I'm very uncomfortable if there's tension with my son because I just want I just want everything to be okay. I want to make everything better for him. And you know, uh, he's still my little baby, but now he's almost as tall as me. He's about to start puberty, and I I need to change that. <laughs> so I think it's a really good point. And just as an aside, Jackie, for you, I brought my school teacher mug to drink my tea out of. <laughs> The, the the one of the one of the point which uh, Jackie was trying and, and I'm trying to to look at it from the perspective if I was teaching the play if I was teaching the play then the play will never look like a satisfying experience for a child which which brings the internal growth for the child I love Where that if, too. If, if I if I have internal growth, I feel satisfied. I feel like I have achieved something. I feel great. But if I'm just going through compliance model and hitting on the same way, you know, okay, I you are my teacher and I have to listen to you. So I do it. Discrete trial. Eight times out of ten times I have done it. Okay, right, okay, tick. You got it. <laughs> Uh, but but that will not generalize. The problem with that is that it will not have the generalization capacity. And then later on, we are ending up into a generalization task. And then there will not no end of the task. So one task after another task and after another task after another task. So you are running into a revolving door kind of a practice where you keep teaching and after a while you feel tired being a parent you feel exhausted because i have taught this they still cannot apply and that's really frustrating for bank parents in those scenarios so i feel that when we look at this way and then analyze it from uh, level one to level six so I, I engage and, and let me just them. let me just um, just for people that might be new he's referring to the functional emotional developmental capacities so. Um, they used to be referred to as levels we've sort of moved towards uh, the language of capacities now where level one or capacity one is regulation up to what we were talking about through engagement interaction etc to the sixth capacity of um, 
logical thinking and building bridges between ideas and that kind of thing. Absolutely. You picked up the right point. So if, if I started to engage and say, hey, you know, maybe you want to try this way. And I gradually moved from engagement to discussion, uh, back and forth, repetitive. Then we moved to the problem solving already. And that's the problem solving. We have a discussion going on. We have a dialoguing happening. And once the tower is ready, it gives me the idea. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to have it. Likes great. And now I can do it and I crash it. And that will be more fun. And that fits into my sensory appeal. And that's fun to enjoy that. And I like that too, that fits into my sensory appeal. So you've taken into consideration that piece. And it's so important. For those listening on audio, I've just pulled up a slide from the presentation that Jackie and Sanjay did on this uh, at the ICDL conference in November. And the slide says tension in the compliance model. And um, would you like to walk through it, Jackie? Sure. So when we think about tension in the compliance model, and I think, you know, before we even get there, most of our systems and culturally, what we are very pressed as uh, parents, professionals, is that our children are compliant, that our children learn and, you know, they, they're, they're compliant within the structure. And what, what Sanjay and I and, and are really thinking about is that perhaps this is not the best way to look at the, the, the growth process and the developmental process for children in schools and at home. And, and, and I think because one of the points is the compliance model looks at discrete behaviors and, and it does not look at the child in, in, in a more general sense. And it does not take into, into account the individual differences, the uniqueness that each child brings to the situation. So your example about your son who ha was having trouble building the, building the structure because motor planning was difficult for him. And so if we just look at, we're gonna build the structure, we're gonna build the structure, and he's not building it, and we don't take into consideration his individual differences, it's just about, it's just about him being compliant to that experience, but not really learning, because it becomes very structured, it becomes very repetitive, you know, and as, as Sanjay just described, there's no joy for the child. And the tension that is that is put into a compliance-based model focuses on the compliance to a desired behavior, not on the general learning of the of the of the experience. Go ahead, Daria. So I just want to jump in and say that, you know, those early experiences of building those towers in that big space with big blocks that were visually easy has translated now into my son wanting every single Mario Kart, Super Mario Lego set. And now there's this app on the iPad, which is amazing to me because I don't remember having, I remember building Lego when I was younger and you had to follow an instruction book or you had to use your mind. And you know, some people may say what I'm about to say isn't really good because you're not using your mind enough, but the app shows you step-by-step step how to build this incredible like the, you should see the things that 
Lego builds for these Mario things like Bowser's castle with all this elaborate stuff, this airship, which is like a big ship and then it opens up and it closes and like there's all these moving pieces of Lego it's it's incredible. But what it's doing is it's now tiny blocks and he's now better at fine motor and it's still hard for him, but I see dad doing it with him and saying no no look at the screen what's the right way let's turn it around this way. Oh, try that No, does that look right. You know, so he's he's now progressed from this big space down to this little space, and but he still likes that idea of putting the blocks together. So I just wanted to jump in and give that um, example of the progression of that. And when you said that it doesn't generalize, if he was just being taught, put this block here, put this block here, and he's doing it to please the therapist and to, okay, then they'll get off my back. It doesn't help him building the Lego now because now he's just sitting and waiting. Okay, what do I do? What do I do to comply? And then, oh, you have to do this. Look at the app, do this, but I don't know how to do this. So he doesn't know how to do it. And then, you know, shaping it with rewards and punishment like is not gonna help him learn that this shape turns this way and then it clicks on this way. And then it looks like Goomba, who's like this angry mushroom character. And it's so cool. So mm -hmm. I, just, I just wanted to jump in with an example there. Yeah, and there's no opportunity if 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 his you know your son's if your husband his father was was just saying um, okay let's do it this way let's do it this way and not saying go look at the app look at look at the experience look at the opportunity he's not he's not trying to he, there's no stretching there's no tension there's no stretch to to have to help your son figure out how to do the steps in, 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 in the sequence that it's set up because he would just be doing it for him. And if, if, and, and, but if he learns those steps in the sequence that he's, that's being set up, he's learning big, big skills because he's going to learn how to follow the directions when he has to put, I don't know, the barbecue set together, you know, in, 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 in 10 years or 15 years. It and apps are the thing that that people use nowadays, not written directions. So a compliance model does not support growth and 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 generalization. And I think Sandra, do you have something to add to that? Yes, uh, one one very important piece which uh, was striking my mind right now, like uh, in in compliance model, we do play a lot with the memory work. Now, if, if we if we continue to play with the memory, I mean, memory is like this, you know, uh, I used to have uh, parent children who have been going through certain kind of training. I don't want to name that training. And uh, after a while, they don't practice that, they lose it. So if uh, memory tasks are, if you don't use it, you lose it. So. It's so bottom line is that, okay, if I am building it into the memory, then if I'm not using it within no time, you dissolve that whole learning. And, and, and literally there is no learning. So eventually the kids, which I used to see when they were learning at age of six, and when I see them at the age of 12, they were still doing the same things. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? So 
because we played all the while with the memory task. And as the age moved up, we find that the learning was also changing according to their needs, but their, their foundations was absolutely not there. And we were just fighting in time or just say, working with the fireworks all the time. And as they grew older to puberty, this whole sensory piece become a blast. And it was so difficult to manage that because a very big, you know, children grew up, they become strong, they become tall. And in Singapore, we used to have ladies who are working with the kids who maintain their figure very well. And then this, <laughs> These kids can carry them with their force. And they, I want to go to McDonald's right now. And they, they, they don't have a choice. They can just hold their hands. So it became like a memory thing didn't work at all at the end of the day. And, and uh, they were struggling with this. So in a longitudinal perspective, it, it doesn't really bring a real change. You know, and I think the other thing that, that, that as you describe that, children don't, don't learn how to manage their bodies because they're not given an, an opportunity to, to, to experiment and explore the sensory world if you're just being taught to be compliant around a, a discrete set of skills and you're not given the opportunity. So to go back to your example, Daria, of in the gym, in the, in the large gym, your son was given opportunity not only to understand how the blocks fit together, but also how his body fits within those spaces. And you know Sanjay's description of 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 a, of, of a you know a, a child or a person who is in puberty just sort of can pick somebody up and move them because they don't understand you know the relationship of their body to another person's body. If we don't provide them with a safe space, so inside that rubber band where we build a little tension so that the child can have those opportunities. It, it, it challenges will, will ensue later on. Yeah, and for those listening on audio, I'm pulling up another slide that they shared called tension and stretch in a developmental model. So this is where, you know, we're contrasting that compliance model to how we like to do it in floor time, which is a developmental model. Oh, you know, and, 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 and Daria, how we like to do it, but evidence is showing that, that Learning does not happen based on compliance. Learning happens through curiosity, connection, and co-regulation. And so when we look at, and, and th those, 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 are, those are cornerstones of, 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 a, of a developmental model and a floor time model, that tension and stretch, when we think about it then from a developmental perspective, it looks at the whole client from the inside out. Sanjay has talked about the sensory piece. We are understanding the sensory components of each child. You know, your example, 
your son had motor planning challenges. Okay, we're understanding those pieces. And we're, we're providing a, an opportunity to have that, 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 that growth so the tension around those challenges because we're understanding who the, who the child is first. And, and it's not, we're not driven by the things that we want them to learn. We're driven by where they are in terms of that, those FEDCs, you know, relationship, engagement, um, shared attention, those pieces. And we're, we're thinking about those pieces and we're providing tension so that we can, we can traverse up that ladder. And we also understand that the relationship, we, parents, caregivers, therapists, teachers, whatever, it is, whoever it is, the relationship that we have is the modality that supports the tension, supports the opportunity for that stretch towards growth. And I don't remember if you gave this example or who gave this example, but somebody in the floor time world has given this example that when you learned how to ride a two wheel bicycle without training wheels, you did it with someone whom you felt safe with. I think I heard Kathy Platzman say that in one yeah, of our yeah. uh, sessions yeah. in, in the floor time uh, discussions, you did it with a parent or with an older sibling and because it's scary to be riding, knowing that you might fall off this relationship and that trust, okay, mom or dad will catch me if I fall. And that's what you're talking about here. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, one, of, one of the things uh, was uh, like, if, if I am stretching this, I want to go at the top, where, which is here, while I am at the bottom. But if and, I want and, to go ahead. And Sanjay's holding a rubber band and stretching it with his fingers for those listening on audio. He's right. saying he wants the child at one and, and me at the other while we're doing this tension. So if I'm just holding the top end at the top with my one hand at the top and not stretching with the other hand, then it's just hanging loose. But if I put a little stretch, into my current reality. I want to go up, but I'm at the bottom. I have to put some tension to it. I have to put some stimulation to it. I have to put some way to, to get things moving. And that's why we want to kind of put that stretch and tension into the, 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 the child's environment which can facilitate the growth which we want to see, the learning which we want to see, the attention we want to have, the engagement we want to see, and how we can translate this into developmental uh, progress or developmental facilitation uh, for the benefit of the child. So that's, that's the tension and the stretch with, which really matters a lot what Sanjay just, just spoke about, the developmental tension in that progression that, that, that it shows us from, from, a, from a sensory perspective how we move through those, um, the, right. the, the FEDC. Yeah. 
So for yeah, those listening, them. for those listening on audio, it's an arrow starting from the bottom left corner, getting wider and thicker as you go up to the top right corner, starting from sensory manipulation, object use to pre-symbolic to symbolic. So do you want to walk us through that process, Sanjay? Yes. So when when we start to engage with the children, I mean, what children like, they want to have fun. Every child who comes to a sensory room, they just want to have fun because it gives them that physical sensory feel, which makes me feel great. However, if it becomes stuck there, then it becomes pathological. If I'm just seeking sensation and I'm not moving to the developmental stages up, then it gives me a pathological. And uh, that's what happens with the children. The children starts from very sensory stage. They absorb all the information, they absorb things right, they use their bodies and then develop their sensory motor system. And from there, apply their body to use objects, manipulate objects. They learn how to do things with the objects and the manipulation skills comes in life. From there on, they learn to use the objects very well. They learn how to use the spoon. They learn how to use the fork. They learn how to cut the apples and then you know, toy apples with the knife. <clears throat> and they learn single step play with those objects because now I know the body, I know how to control the body. My sensory systems are synchronized with my body so that I can move. And now I got a little idea. So I can cut the apple and I can cut other things as well. I can cut a paper with the scissor and I can make something out of it. So they start to get single one one ideas and these one one ideas then when as they grow older, they start to string together and translate into a symbolic world. And that's how I felt that this is a kind of a developmental pattern children move towards. And Daria, you are mentioning about <clears throat> how your son who was using the big blocks and then it started to go into the small blocks with the with the, uh, the TV uh, computer screen and how to manipulate this. So eventually he learned to use the object use. He got into pre-symbolic and now he is becoming more and more symbolic. We just started from very basic sensory piece, which he wanted to do it. So we walk him through all the way the symbolic piece gradually and developmentally. And I'd, I'd like to make a point uh, referring back to a podcast I did with occupational therapist Keith Lander in Vancouver, and it was called um, co-regulation is the driver for sensory integration. And so what you were talking about, um, just the sensory experience on its own, sometimes when parents hear about a sensory diet, oh, okay, I'll put up a sensory swing in my house and my child will just go swing there. But that's not the goal in floor time. The goal in floor time is no, we want to be a part of that swinging with the child 
and be in an interaction while they're swinging. So they're integrating their senses in while they're interacting with us, while they're getting, and, and you're, you could probably say it way better than I can. But if we, if I had just um, stood back and thought, oh, well, my son just enjoys throwing toys. Okay, now I know from my podcast with Gretchen that he loves watching things move. And so that throwing is just, whoa, I'm just getting all this visual stimulation over and over and over again. And you used the term that would be pathological to just do that because it's not developing into anything. But when we start to make it an interaction and in We Chose Play, I show a number of videos of what he does, what, what I did with him. So we threw balls and we, um, in a squash court, all different size balls. And we had this big space and I set up little water bottles that were filled with different amounts of weights. And he threw them, tried to knock down the towers, but he also enjoyed watching where the balls go in the context of interacting and play and doing play. And then we were in the bathroom, knocking down other towers and, and doing different things in an interaction. So he still got that benefit of throwing and getting that sensory to his visual and, and he has you know vestibular needs and all these other things too. But we made it into an interactive game where it was more fun because he was doing it with mom. And I think what, 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 what's really important there is that you said we. We, we, we. We did it together. We, you know, and you were probably throwing balls at those bottles just right along with him and finding such extreme joy when you knocked one over or he knocked one over. And, 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 and but you kept the tension going because probably sometimes he threw a ball and it didn't hit a bottle. And perhaps there was a disappointment there. But you're, you're sharing, keeping the tension and, and being comfortable inside the uncomfortable of the tension supported his process. And so now he's probably not throwing balls at bottles anymore, right? Yeah, and and actually, I don't think he even cared that the bottles were there or necessarily even was trying to knock them down. He just enjoyed throwing the balls and watching it. But my by me directing him to yes. knocking the bottles, and if it happened to accidentally knock a bottle, I would say, oh, look, you Circles knocked it over. Circles of communication. <laughs> yeah. Yeehaw, right in the sensory space. So supporting, going, it, it, tension you're doing all of that you're supporting him around the sensory but you're working on circles of communication beautiful 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 and and the key the key for me in this in this uh, model the arrow model is uh, that we and when i put this arrow model into the dir flow time model we want children to move towards symbolic thinking, isn't it? So the challenge is that how do I, as a therapist or a professional, how do I ch challenge the child in such a way that his sensory appeal or his sensory needs are met? At the same time, it is molded all the way to the sensory or symbolic level. 
and and how important it is to not rush that because you know i also show examples in in we chose play where um the we're pushing it too far and we're doing symbolic playing and our son just gets up and walks away because we're developmentally coming in too high that was you know six years ago and it took you know five six years for him to get to the symbolic and every child is different some children will get there quicker and some might take longer but i think that is all we're always where we're headed towards and have that in the back of our mind and you might try a few things and oops the rubber band broke because it was too yeah. much yeah exactly exactly and we have to look at that the ruptures ruptures are our friends because we get information then about where the child is so it it offers the opportunity when there's a rupture for assessment oh oh we pushed too far this child right now is not there yet i have to have a little less tension because we got you know, and it happens to all of us, you know, we find ourselves in the symbolic world and the child isn't there with us yet because we get overzealous. And sometimes because we have children who are playing with, you know, if we think about that arrow, you know, and, and they are at the object stage of, 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 of their play with symbolic toys, and so we respond and we get to the symbolic place and the child isn't there yet. So ruptures, ruptures are our friends. And I think that that's a great, um, a great piece and important final, final thought for this. And also what you were saying, um, the thing that jumped in my head when you said it was there might be siblings who are symbolic. So you're trying to play with all of the kids and pulling your your child that we're talking about in with the other children's play because the other kids are symbolic so you think oh well that child might be younger but is already symbolic so this child should be symbolic by now and we always have to remember to keep it you know keep it with where our child is at so we're not breaking that rubber band yeah yeah, yeah absolutely but if the rubber band breaks, it is okay because you can get another rubber band, a smaller one, a bigger one, and you can start over again. And you start right back with relationship and affect, co-regulation and connection. Great opportunity at that moment to, to develop the emotional regulation as well. Yes, to know like it's okay if if it all falls apart because I can calm down and I'll do that with the help of mom or whoever, the therapist or sibling, and eventually get to the place where I can figure out how to calm myself down once they learn Absolutely. self-regulation. Yeah, exactly. It gives us permission to make mistakes. And I think that's important. So is there anything else from the presentation that we haven't covered yet before we wrap it up? Um, I, think, I think everybody gets the concept now of the stretching the rubber band, just at the just right tension, not too much. And if it breaks, it's okay. Um, 
and we gave lots of different examples, bringing in sensory and and getting to the symbolic and developmental level. And is there anything else uh, from an occupational therapy perspective, Sanjay, that that we didn't cover that you wanted to get to? Yeah, I think we we did very well. Thank you so much. You are great. Putting all the pieces right. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you both so much. Uh, it was it was definitely one of the hits of the conference. I will say the DIR Floor Time Conference. It was the talk of the conference, the rubber band presentation, because it's just so relatable for parents, and it's it's a way that they can conceptualize what's happening. Because sometimes it's it's just so much information, and and parents are always trying to do the right thing, and we want to help our children. Um, and sometimes we push them too far too fast or, or in the case we don't push them hard enough. And so just having that idea of the rubber band is so helpful. So thank you. Thank you both. And you. again, happy new year to everybody. Uh, let's hope 2022 uh, allows us to have more in person uh, further further on in the year, even if not right away. <laughs> Exactly. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day.